As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to the show, bringing you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis as mediated by one of his key biographers, Oxford Professor of Science and Religion, Alistair McGrath, whose own conversion and academic career has much in common with C.S. Lewis. I'm Justin Briley, hosting this season of the podcast, looking at Lewis's shorter works. And today we're looking at his work, Myth Became Fact. C.S. Lewis discusses the importance of myth in this essay. It's a critique of those who want to demythologize Christianity, and he explains why Christ is the true myth that all other stories of dying and rising gods are pointing towards. Hope you enjoy today's show. If you want more from the show, premierunbelievable.com is our website. Click on shop to find the digital download of our unbelievable conference there. That features Alistair as one of our keynote speakers from just a little earlier in the year. Again, the link is with today's show. Uh, We've been airing also our latest season of The Big Conversation on Premier Unbelievable. If you enjoy this podcast, I think you'll love The Big Conversation as well. Episodes so far include Richard Dawkins and Francis. Francis Collins, Rowan Williams and Paul Kingsnorth. Really interesting stuff. Do go and check them out at thebigconversation.show and you can also register there for our next live Big Conversation event. That's Michaela Peterson and John McRae on whether Gen Z and millennials are ready to believe in God. So just a few links for you to go and explore. For now, here's today's show. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We're joined as ever by Alistair McGrath as we look through a number of Lewis's essays in this season of the podcast. Uh, Myth Became Fact is the one we're looking at today. Again, you can find this in a number of different anthologies. Uh, I'm reading from it in in an edition of God in the Dock from the 1970s. Um, But in a way, I so often find, Alistair, that you come across an idea in an essay or a chapter of Lewis, and it'll remind you of something he wrote somewhere else. He he frequently was repeating and building on these ideas. And very frequently, I find that uh, I know, for instance, that, that I'm pretty sure that some of the essays he wrote that, that found their way into God in the Dog also became the basis for chapters in his book, Miracles and things like that, didn't they? So, it, 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 you know, you, you'll bump into similar ideas in lots of different places when it comes to this, won't you? You will. You'll find Lewis developing ideas and testing them out, and, and you know he then will rework them. So if you like, he's um, he's doing what I think every good public speaker does, which is in effect saying, I'm going to try these out on an audience, see what the reaction is, then rewrite it for later use. And it's a great way of doing it. Mm. Um, myth became fact. Do, this was 1944, I think. Do you know anything of the sort of, you know, what who Lewis was doing this for, what, what the invitation was? I 
we don't really know um, quite what the audience is, but what we do know, I think, is the background to this, because uh, in 1941, um, Rudolf Bultmann published an essay called The Demythologization of the New Testament, which um, is still talked about New Testament scholarship, but it was very, very influential at the time. And a lot of people were saying, well, Christianity is just a myth. We need to get rid of its mythology and just look at its moral principles. And what Lewis is saying is, no, we can't do that. It's not that simple. So I think that's the background to what Lewis is saying. But the points he makes in this essay are actually really rather good, I mm. think. And just staying with Bolton for a moment, what, what was he saying about that? Was he sort of approving that or critiquing that in his, in his essay? What you're saying is New Testament takes the form of a myth. In other words, an outdated way of telling stories about the world. Therefore, we need to get rid of two things. One, the outdated bit, and two, the story bit. In other words, we should simply, in effect, um, try and find the, 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 the deeper meaning of the New Testament and get rid of this altogether. Lewis is saying you can't do that, and you don't need to do that. You need, in effect, to interpret this to our own day and age. And that, indeed, is what Lewis does in his own writings. And so when, when he mentions at the beginning of this essay, his friend Cor Corinius, he may even have Bultmann in mind, who knows, but he <laughs> says this, my friend Corinius has advanced the charge that none of us are in fact Christians at all. According to him, historic Christianity is something so barbarous that no modern man can really believe it. The moderns who claim to do so are in fact believing a modern system of thought, which retains the vocabulary of Christianity and exploits the emotions inherited from it while quietly dropping its essential doctrines. Corinius compared modern Christianity with the modern English monarchy. The forms of kingship has been retained, but the reality has been abandoned. And he goes on to say, all this I believe to be false, except of a few modernist theologians who, by God's grace, become fewer every day. But for the moment, let us assume that Corinius is right. Let us pretend for purposes of argument that all who now call themselves Christians have abandoned the historic doctrines. Let us suppose that modern Christianity reveals a system of names, rituals, formulae and metaphors which persist, although the thoughts behind it have changed. Corinius ought to be able to explain the persistence, but then why on his view do all of these educated and enlightened pseudo-Christians insist on expressing their deepest thought in terms of an archaic mythology, which must hamper and embarrass them at every turn? And really the rest of the essays, his sort of response to that of why actually, even if you were to accept that argument, that it's a, a sort of a mythology that, or that, you know, that actually this myth has an extraordinary powerful effect on us. And it's very hard to abandon the mythology and simply say, well, we just live by the principles now. So to so take us into that a bit. And and yes, and and this the, why 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 Christians still, even you know, some of the most modernist liberal theologians still seem to nevertheless have to hang on to this quote unquote mythology, which must, as he says, hamper and embarrass them at every turn, Alistair. I think Lewis makes a number of points. I think they're very important points. One of them is that actually Christianity tells a story. Now, Lewis uses the word myth, but he uses it in a technical sense. For him, a myth is a story that captures our imagination and conveys information. And that was very, very important for Lewis because he had this very famous discussion with J.R.R. Tolkien back in the uh, 1931. And Tolkien showed him that Christianity was a story which in fact captured your imagination and Christ was at the center of the story. And Lewis really found that it illuminated everything for him. And the key point is that uh, Christianity, in effect, takes the form of a story, and we can't eliminate this idea 
of the Christian story. It's there. It really happened in history. The story is told and retold, but also it's interpreted. This is what it means. So Lewis basically is saying you can't reduce Christianity to abstract ideas. It's a story and its power captures our imagination and makes us receptive to the deeper truths about our identity and meaning that it contains. So it's a very important point. And, and in that sense, Lewis was a great scholar of many ancient mythologies. Um, you know, he fell in love as a boy with the, the Greek and Scandinavian sort of, you know, forms, the Norse gods and so on. Um, and, and to that extent, he was very familiar with the fact that every culture and society had its mythos, its story, if you like. What, so what, what does he mean when he says the myth became fact in the Christian story? What he's saying is that uh, in Christianity, something which in other um, mythologies is vague and undefined, this happened long, long ago and far, far away, no date is given, no place is given. In Christianity, it's suddenly specific. This happened under Pontius Pilate. This happened in Jerusalem. This happened in this way. In other words, this is historical reality, but it has deep significance for who we are. In other words, it is a real event, but an event when it's rightly understood that changes everything. So yes, it happened, but you have to understand its deeper meaning. And once you grasp that, it changes everything. So Lewis is really bringing out the fact that Christianity is based on this story of the life and death and resurrection of Christ, but also that has the capacity when rightly understood to change everything about um, the way we see the world, ourselves and God. So Lewis is saying celebrate what he calls the mythic radiance of our faith. In other words, the fact it tells a story that captures the imagination. And for me, that's very, very important because an awful lot of um, Christians these days are discovering the importance of what is called narrative apologetics, that it's by telling the story of faith that you help people realize why it is so significant. Well, let me read uh, just you know, a great quote from, from this essay uh, where he sort of puts this all together. He says, the heart of Christianity is a myth, which is also a fact. The old myth of the dying God, without ceasing to be myth, comes down from the heaven of legend and imagination to the earth of history. It happens at a particular date, in a particular place, followed by definable historical consequences. We pass from a boulder or an Osiris, dying nobody knows when or where, to a historical person, crucified, it is all in order, under Pontius Pilate. By becoming fact, it does not cease to be myth. So this is essentially a recap, recapitulating what you've just said, really, there, Alistair, that, that he obviously sees that, that whereas all of those were sort of pointing, you know, were, were sort of saying something about the bigger story that we're living in, this is, this is the moment when that story becomes, you know, crosses into history, becomes actually part of our story physically, as well as sort of the, the imaginative story that we tell ourselves frequently. So, so th th this is obviously something that Lewis had you know, been thinking about for quite a long time. And I think is really part of his own 
conversion story himself in a way isn't it you, you mentioned already that this was an important part of his conversation with J.R.R. Tolkien well that's right Lewis loved pagan mythologies particularly Nordic mythologies and one of the questions he, he had for himself was by becoming a Christian do I need to leave this stuff behind and once Tolkien had explained that Christianity told a story Lewis realized that in effect this story the Christian story makes sense of every other story that is told and Lewis's point is, there's not something people have made up. Something happened. It happened in history, but it had a significance that transcends any particular historical moment. And so what Lewis is saying is, look, the Christian myth, the story is a fact that really happened. But once you see its deeper meaning, it opens up this much wider range of understanding. And it's so important for Lewis that um, Christ lived and died in history at a place and a time that we know, rather than these vague, undefined um, stories of pagan mythology. And Lewis's point is it really happened, but its full significance is more than its historical actuality. It needs to be interpreted. And once you do that, it transcends history and speaks to us today. So Lewis is saying, don't stop telling the Christian story. Make sure you translate it into the language of our contemporary culture and let it do the job for you. Um, it's interesting because near the end of the, the essay, he says this, a man who disbelieved the Christian story is fact, but continually fed on it as myth would perhaps be more spiritually alive than one who assented and did not think much about it. Um, there's that sense in which he thinks he, he gets the sense that actually even some people who maybe, you know, don't sign up intellectually to the, the sort of factual claims of Christianity, nevertheless, they're living in the story of Christianity. There's a sense in which they're feeding off that story that has informed their culture and informs their imagination and so on. Do you want to comment on that? Well, I think Lewis is trying to make the point that, um, that we need to, in effect, realize that Christianity gains traction on people for a number of reasons. One, of course, is because it's grounded in history. And that is so important. Even in the creeds, you know, we have a specific reference to Pontius Pilate. So important. But it also captures our imagination. And Lewis is really saying we must never lose sight of that that there is this mythical radiance or this imaginative power that speaks to us deeply. And for many people, you know, it is this aspect of Christianity, the sense that there's something deeper, wonderful behind the story that draws them into it. And they want to explore this and discover this. And if you're an apologist, this is so important because it means there are multiple ways in which you can make connections between Christianity and our secular culture. And in this essay, I think Lewis gives us some very good pointers about how we might do this. Hmm. Going back to this sort of the issue he was dealing with at the start, which was the sort of the, the trend towards, as he saw it in certain modern forms of theology to sort of saying we need to get rid of the the supernatural claims and you know the you know we questioning the whole story of christianity to start with just you know it's the principles as, as it were um and his whole point that you when if you if you get rid of the story you're you're not going to be left with the principles either because that's sort of i mean do you see that still as a sort of contemporary issue in theology do you think there there's still that strain of people who want to kind of basically debunk the story of Christianity and just say, let's, let's, let's just, you know, enjoy the, the good principles of love and charity and everything that, that it's given us. 
Well, you do find people who, who will talk like that. I mean, Paul Tillich, for example, a well-known American theologian of the 1960s, would say, look, Christianity articulates certain basic principles and, and the history doesn't matter. So these, these principles are freestanding. We need to embrace these and live them out. But Lewis's point is, no, no, we need to ask where they come from. And we need to ask how we got these ideas, because once we get these ideas, we find they are linked to the person of Christ. So we have the idea that the person of Christ is linked with these principles, that Christianity is not about abstract principles. It's about a living relationship with a person, which in effect leads you to embrace and enact the principles themselves. Christianity, he says at another point in this essay, claims not only our love and our obedience, but also our wonder and delight. He seems to want to people to engage in the way, the experience of, of what this is, you know, to, to, to not simply, again, as we've said in a previous show, just be looking at it from the outside, but to be actually entering into the, the awe, the numinousness of this experience. Well, that's right. I mean, what Lewis is saying is that we must never think of Christianity simply as blind obedience. Actually, there's this imaginative enjoyment, which, of course, is expressed so well in worship. And for Lewis, these are all part of the bigger picture. And that's why I like Lewis so much, I think, that he, he brings together theology, worship, the telling of stories, the looking at ancient history. He's saying all of these can be held together. And Christianity gives you the framework that allows you to do that. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and again, the, the, the theme comes up in other places and we'll probably bump into it again in some of the essays we're going to look at again. But this idea that Christianity is, is as it says, myth became fact. It's, and that, that means that as Christians, we don't have to sort of dismiss every other religious story out there, but rather, and this has been really helpful for me, I think, rather see that Christ sort of fulfills every story, not that Christ sort of you know, negates every other story, but rather that every other story points towards this this story. I don't know if that's been helpful for you, Alistair. It has. I think one of the things that Lewis helps me to see is that Christianity makes sense of all the stories that humanity has told about itself. And in many cases, it redirects these, but it doesn't negate them. In effect, it says, look, these are part of a bigger picture. And very often they turn out to be dead ends or they in effect need to go further, but they can't on their own. They need help. And Christianity is able to make that connection. So for Lewis, Christianity is a religion of fulfillment of the hopes of human beings. And sometimes it fulfills those hopes by, in effect, taking these older or incomplete stories and saying, we can finish them and show you mm. where they really take us. I think it's a really important idea. And I felt he's always almost doing what Paul did at the Oropagus when he spoke to the Greeks and the philosophers and said, I see that you are very religious. You know, I've been looking around at your, your idols and your temples. Um, and now I've come to tell you about an unknown God, but a God who actually is the end of that, you know, and he quotes one of their poets to them, you know, in whom you live and move and have your being. I love the way that, that in that instance, he doesn't say, you've, you know, you've got it all wrong. What he says is, You've been you've been reaching for something. You've been searching for something, and here's here's the thing that you were looking for all the time. That that I get in the sense is is Lewis's approach as well. To when it I comes think that's to other, absolutely other right, mm. absolutely right. And in fact, you know, Paul will say, "What you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. I name it. I say mm. this is it. 
Um, and Lewis is doing something very, very similar, like the way in which um, Aslan is presented in Narnia as the kind of um, the kind of ultimate fulfillment of all these longings, even though people didn't know where it was taking them. This is its goal. It's named. And that very often for Lewis is an important point about the Areopagus speech. In fact, it's naming the origin and the goal of these stories and these longings. Really helpful. Thank you so much. Um, so again, uh, Myth Became Fact is available uh, widely online, really, but also in, in a certain number of uh, anthologies of Lewis's uh, essays. Um, uh, but uh, I hope you enjoy reading it again if you get the chance. I certainly have myself. But for now, Alistair, thank you very much for being my guest this week. Always great to be with you. Thank you. Well, we'll be back with another episode next week. Hope you can be here too. Uh, links to premierunbelievable.com where you can find out more about the show are with the info on today's program. Registering there gets you access to bonus content, a free ebook on the evidence for God and much more. And there are links to our next big conversation live event too with Michaela Peterson and John McRae. That's on Tuesday, the 12th of July. You can join online for free from anywhere in the world to be part of that unbelievable.live for that one the link also with today's show thanks for being with us see you next time <laughs>